Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 30 to 35 this evening, and that can be found on page 343 in your pew Bible. We are continuing to walk through the book of Joshua, where over and over again we see God's faithfulness to his people. God promises his people the land of Canaan. He's leading and he's fighting for them every single step of the way. If you recall in chapter 6, we have Joshua and the battle of Jericho where in a supernatural display of God's power, the walls of Jericho crumbling down. And Israel is victorious. Chapter 7 recounts Achan's Sin, which leads to God's judgment, and the people repent, and God is merciful, and He forgives His people. Then we get to chapter 8 and the battle of Ai, and, and two weeks ago, Pastor Barrett walked us through this battle where God delivers again the city of Ai, another city to the Israelites. Now, they've entered the promised land, they have two smaller battles, but, but amazing nonetheless. So you just have to wonder, momentum is, is high. Israel has been victorious. Like This is the land flowing with milk and honey. One would think that Israel would just stay the course, right? That, that they would keep on conquering and they would keep moving and just keep the momentum high. And yet, Tonight they pause their conquest. And what we see here tonight is really a stark contrast between the previous chapters that are filled with war and bloodshed. And it's really a beautiful point in redemptive history. Because what God had commanded Moses to do earlier in Deuteronomy 27 to 29, Israel is now doing. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And in these few verses, what we see is Israel going from war to worship. So with that in mind, Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35, hear God's holy and inerrant word. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. And he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. And on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on, the, on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel... Aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests, who were the Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as, the servant, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. 
There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. This is the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we get a glimpse of the worship service that happens here, would you enlighten our hearts to the joy found in worshiping you and the joy found in walking in obedience to your word? We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. When I say that phrase, what comes to mind? What event came to your mind where perhaps you heard those words uttered? I'm not talking about the breaking news that happens every five minutes on the 24-hour news channels. I'm talking about real news that really happens. In 2008, Joe Garner published an updated edition of his book, and the book is entitled, We Interrupt This Broadcast. And Garner uh, goes through history, and he lists 43 of the We Interrupt This Broadcast events, and he highlights those events in the book, and he walks through each one of them and why they were so significant for the world. And Garner writes about that phrase. He said, few phrases garner so much attention as we interrupt this broadcast. Wherever we may happen to be, our lives stop for a moment. And we experience those few seconds of anxiety between the interruption and the actual announcement of what happens. Now, oftentimes these events, when you think about them, are formed as a question. Where were you when? Where were you when you heard about? Events such as Pearl Harbor. Maybe someone here tonight or listening online remembers that. Where were you when you heard that? When President Kennedy was assassinated. When Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. When Elvis died. When the Challenger exploded, the Berlin Wall fell, 9-11, even the Virginia Tech massacres. Where were you? All of those announced by We Interrupt This Broadcast to bring you a special breaking news bulletin. Well, tonight we are looking at an interruption. Tonight's broadcast interruption, however, flips the scripts. Because truth be told, all the broadcast interruptions that he mentions are all painful and typically tragic events. But not tonight. You see, tonight, while it is an interruption, it's not an annoying interruption. And it's certainly not a glorious interruption. Tonight, We have a glorious interruption, a glorious interruption that serves as a beautiful reminder, both then and now, of the importance of obedience in the Christian life, the importance of obedience and the importance of worship in the life of a follower of Christ. And I'm going to walk us through this passage tonight. As I walk us through this, I want us 
to help us understand what's going on and why it's significant for us today. And so I want to do that through the lens of Israel's past, present, and future. And so let's start with the past. In, in verses 1 through 29, Israel's just defeated the nation of Ai. And now they make this trek some 20 miles north to, to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Right into this area that's situated right between these two mountains would have been the city of Shechem, which is what we know today as Samaria. And it begs the question, why? Why? Why take a break from the battle? Why stop the momentum? This is no small task. This is moving hundreds of thousands of people, 20 miles, 20 some odd miles. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to the edge tomorrow. That's 50 middle schoolers. You can't move 50 middle schoolers efficiently anywhere. I can't imagine moving 100,000 people 20 miles. It must be important. It's got to be significant. And so you ask the question, why? And the answer is simple. Obedience. Obedience to the law of God. See, back in Deuteronomy 27 through 29, Moses commands the people to perform this ceremony, this covenant renewal ceremony. And he tells Israel, he says, once you've crossed over the Jordan, you build an altar and you make sacrifices to the Lord and you write out the law. And Moses tells him exactly what to do. He says, I want you to take half the people. Six of the 12 tribes, and half of them go on Mount Ebal, and the other half on Mount Gerizim. And there the law is to be read out loud. And those who are on Mount Gerizim are to read aloud the blessings for obeying the law. God stated the law, and Moses says, here are the blessings that come with obedience to the law. And just to give you a flavor of what some of those blessings are, you can find those listed in Deuteronomy 28, but he says, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your cattle, blessed shall be your basket, on and on, on the blessings, over and over, the people of Israel are reminding each other and themselves of the blessings that come of obeying God's law. Now you take the other half of Israel and they're on Mount Ebal. And they're to read out loud the curses for disobedience. And truth be told, the list of curses is longer than the list of blessings. But here's a flavor of those. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall be you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground. Over and over and over again. The people of Israel hear and recite these curses for disobedience. And this whole ceremony is an act of obedience to the law of Moses. You see, what God had commanded Mo Moses to do in the past, Joshua is now carrying out in the present. And as one scholar put it, he's, the, the whole point in doing this is to show that heeding God's word is more important than fighting God's war. By placing this ceremony, by placing this worship service right smack dab in the middle of a military campaign, the writer is showing that Israel's success 
Success is not defined simply by, by taking over and conquering the Canaanites. Success is in submission to the word of God. So now, fast forward to the present. We're here in the present, and the nation of Israel is divided. Half on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim. And in verse 30, Joshua builds an altar on Mount Ebal. And I'll come back to why that's significant in just a minute. But in verse 31, tells us that he does it in accordance to everything that Moses has said. And you see this theme of obedience repeated. Three times, actually, you see this, in accordance to what Moses had said, the author is clearly pointing to how important obedience is and obedience to God's law. And so Joshua builds this altar, and it's an altar of uncut stones. No tools were needed. There's no intervention by man. And there on the altar are two sacrifices made to the Lord. Burnt offerings and peace offerings. And why is that significant? Well, the burnt offerings were the sacrifices in which the entire animal would have been consumed. And it was offered according to the law to atone for sin. These were the, the, the sacrifice of atonement. And the whole animal would have been burnt up as a fragrance pleasing to the Lord. But then you have these, these peace offerings or fellowship offerings. And these would have been offerings where Portions of the animal would have been eaten together. And it's clearly pointing to, to this idea of fellowship with God, that here is a ceremony that's meant, that's purpose is to help reestablish a sense of relationship, to help reestablish a sense of well-being, that all is right between God and us, us as a corporate, corporate community. And what a timely reminder for the people of Israel then. Right? They've come into the promised land. They've experienced victory, but they've experienced disobedience. They've experienced failure. No doubt they were in need of remembering God's faithfulness to his, God's covenant faithfulness. I mentioned earlier it's significant that this altar was built on Mount Ebal, I want you to just think about this for a second. If you or I were going to choose where we're going to worship, which mountain are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the mountain of blessing? Or are we going to choose the mountain of curses? Clear. <laughs> I'm going to the mountain of blessing if I'm going to worship, right? But God instructs the people to do the total opposite. He tells them to go build on the mount of curses, on the mount of sin, and it's there on Mount Ebal through the blood of the lambs that were sacrificed that God meets with sinful people. Isn't that true for us today? Friends, the only way that we have a relationship with Christ the only way we have fellowship with God is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the one true lamb. That God meets with us in our mess. 
and our sin and our failure and our disobedience. And through the blood of the Lamb calls us to worship Him. He calls us to worship Him not by anything that we can do, and not by anything we didn't do, but only through the blood of Christ. It's only through that blood that we are called to worship. And I think that's an important reminder for us today. You know, I know when we think about worship, we think about corporate worship, morning worship, evening worship, and how you approach those things. Quite often, especially with young kids, it's tough. I mean, you drag everybody to church and you barely feel Christian by the time that you, you get here. All right? And our hearts often come in cold and ambivalent, and sad, frustrated. Some of us are here and we don't know why. We don't know how. Some of us are here because this is what you do. Out of strict duty. And yet it's a reminder that the only thing that bids us to come, and the only thing that bids us to come is not because you didn't, you got up early and you got everybody dressed and everybody was happy and nobody cried on the way to church. Good luck. But what bids you to come is only through the blood of Christ. And what makes you right, what gives you the right? Think about this. This is why I love our corporate worship services. Every element that we have in our corporate worship points us back to the gospel. And it points us to Jesus, a call to worship where God, Lord of heaven, God Almighty himself says, come, come into my presence. What gives you the right to come into the presence of a holy God? On what grounds do you stand? Friends, I can tell you, it's not the way I treated my family on Sunday mornings oftentimes. It's not how good or bad it was on Friday night or Saturday night, students. That invitation to come is only through the blood of Christ. That he bids us come. 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 But there's more than just sacrifices going on here. And we see again that the sacrifices are happening. But then what happens next? After the sacrifices, we see again the importance of the law of God. Right? Half the people are on Mount Ebal and half are on Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. And the text tells us that the Ark of the Covenant is right slap in the middle. Right? And Joshua, again, writes the law on stone. He writes the law on stone and he reads it out loud. And he reads out the blessings and he reads out the curses to all the people. And notice the progression of when the law is read. Law is read after the sacrifices of atonement. Not before. It's not through obedience of the law. But it's because of who God is that the law is then given. It's as if God is saying, it's because I give you the law because of who I am. And because 
You are a redeemed people, and this then is how you should live. The law can't save us. The law condemns us. But the law is also given for our good. And it's given for God's glory. And I think that's an important truth for us today. We live in a time where truth is relative. Where rules and laws and the Bible are viewed as outdated. So what? And yet, nothing can be further from the truth. Right? God gives us the law because he loves us. There's health and there's blessing in obedience. And I know when you start talking about the word obedience, some of you love it. Yes. Give me the rules. I want the rules so I can know what to follow. But we know that we can't do it and we don't measure up. There's others when you hear the word obedience. You scoff and you bristle, right? That's a challenge. Rules, do's and don'ts. What if I don't like your rules? What if I want to write my own rules? Let's talk about your rules. Because ultimately I want to do what I want to do. And if I'm honest, that's been a struggle for me at times. You give me a set of rules and I want to talk about it. Well, let's talk about these for a minute. How hard and fast are they? God's are pretty hard and fast. And I think that it's something that, that a mentality in me that has actually changed as I've gotten older and specifically probably began to really shift as I became a parent. Because all of a sudden, rules take on a totally different meaning as a parent, don't they? It gets real, real fast. You don't have rules, somebody's going to get hurt. Right? Outlets, just outlets, three-prong outlets are attractive to a toddler. I don't care where, I don't care what country, where. They are so attractive. They are magnets. Toddlers have a built-in attraction to an outlet. And they're going to find anything and everything to stick into those outlets. Now, some of you did a better job of parenting than me, right? Because I was like, I'm not going to use the little covers for the outlets because I'm going to be a good parent. My kids are always going to obey. And then they don't. Uh, so we eventually like relegated to outlet covers because I'm like, man, I can't watch him all the time. Um, right? But, but outlet covers uh, are important. Why? Rules are important for children because without rules, without obedience to the rules, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to potentially die. And I remember right after our oldest son was born, Kelly and I watched a set of parenting videos. I think it was Paul David Tripp. Uh, or one of the Tripp brothers, about how to get your kids to understand the rules, right? And he talked about drawing this big circle on the driveway. Maybe some of you remember it, and uh, you kind of play a game where if you step outside the circle, like you're going to, you know, hot lava or something is going to take out your legs. And and you're trying to teach your children this whole concept of if you stay inside the circle, if you stay inside the guidelines, there's blessing inside the circle. There's safety in the circle. There's health within the circle. There's It will go well for you inside the circle, but step out, and it's dangerous. Students, teenagers, young people that are here, listen, I know that you think it is your parents' goal in life to ruin your world, and that they don't know what they're talking about, 
and that they constantly are, you know, everybody else's parents are already better than yours. And I would agree, right? Everybody else's parents uh, are better, at least in your mind. But let me tell you something. Your parents have rules. They have guidelines for you because they love you. They set boundaries because God has placed them in a place to do that. They see the world in a way that you don't. They're there to shepherd you, to care for you, to love you. The rules and the guidelines are for your benefit. And what you'll find is that when you stay within them, there's blessing. Parents, stay the course. Don't give up. It's a battle worth fighting. Not literally and physically, but a spiritual battle of helping your children understand the blessing of living within obedience to what God has called you to do. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. God gives us the law, not because he wants to stifle us, but because He loves us. He wants us to live for him. We are saved by grace as sons and daughters of the king. And so the law and the commandments are given for our good and for his glory. So that covers the present, but what about the future? Well, note who's present in the passage. Verse 33 and 35. All of Israel, aliens, citizens alike, Elders, officials, again, all the assembly of Israel, the women and children, and sojourners. It's passages like this and stories of Rahab, which we heard earlier, that show us how Israel's faith is open to outsiders. We're actually going to see this many, many years later in John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you recall, Jesus is in this conversation, and the Samaritan woman in John 4.20 says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You see, Jesus is standing in that same place, in that same general area, and he's having this conversation with this Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans didn't worship in Jerusalem, but on Gerizim, where the blessings were read, and Jesus says, you're wrong. But then he says this. He says, the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Friends, so it is with us. Because of the life and the death of Christ, we worship God not on Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim, but right here in Augusta, Georgia, in spirit and in truth. So what do we do with a passage like this? Well, if you're here tonight and you're a follower of Christ, how do you approach corporate worship? Is it a drag? Is it a duty? Or is it a delight? We have the privilege every Lord's Day, morning and evening, to gather as the redeemed people 
of God, beaten by the circumstances and the sinfulness of each week, each Sunday, we have a chance to be reminded afresh of the faithfulness and the loving kindness of God. A God who loves us. You know, essentially morning and evening worship, our worship services are many covenant renewals where we're reminded of the gospel and we're called to live it out in our lives week in and week out. I know that we enter corporate worship in lots of places. My hope and my prayer is that we'll evaluate how we do that and we'll think about why we do it and we'll fight to do whatever it takes to keep the practice going, to to constantly be reminded and see the need and our own need and the needs of our friends and our family, our church family, of regular worship, regular corporate worship. Likewise, as a follower of Christ, how do you approach the law of God? Is it a drag? Is it a duty? Or is it a delight? Is God's law a burden or is it beautiful? Can you say with the psalmist that God's word is sweeter than honey. Evaluate your heart and ask the question, why? Why are you there? What are we missing? It's not a delight. How does the gospel change our view of worship? How does the gospel change our view as a follower of Christ, of the law of God? And maybe you're here tonight and you are still considering the claims of of Christ, well, number one, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you've not yet made the Christian faith your own, we'd love to talk to you more about why worship is so important, about why and how God's law is relevant and crucial for our lives today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, We thank you for your word, your life-giving word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for a church that values worship. We thank you that it's only through the blood of Christ that we are able to approach you. We thank you that it doesn't matter how we walk in to worship, that you are faithful to meet us there, that you are faithful to change our hearts. And so we pray that you would change us. May we be a people who have a deep love for worship of you and a deep love of obedience and a deep love of your word. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.